Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Well, good morning. So good to see you all. Uh, my name is Jonathan Bennett. I'm the campus pastor uh, for Daniel Island, associate rector here at Holy Cross. And in what seems like a previous life now, I was once a youth pastor at a church in England. And being a youth pastor, I encountered all kinds of strange questions about faith. You see, young people are more likely to ask the questions that adults might be embarrassed to ask. Well, one of the questions that stands out in my mind came one Sunday evening at a high school youth group meeting. We were doing a teaching on prayer, and we wanted to give the students a chance to ask their questions about this topic. Well, one of the students, a brave and slightly cheeky student, decided to ask a question to see if he could get a rise from us and everyone else. So he said, is it okay to pray to God when you're sitting on the toilet? Well, he got the reaction he wanted as the whole room burst out laughing. And it was pretty funny, but it was actually also a good question because it goes to the heart of the question, what is prayer? Is prayer something that can be done in even the most mundane or awkward of circumstances of life? Or is it something that has to be reserved for special occasions, people or places like this and done with special words? Reminds me of a story I heard about a family who invited the pastor and his wife to lunch and they wanted to show off to the visitors how well they brought up their children and how well their children prayed. So when it came to lunchtime and they were all sat around the table, they said to their son, Johnny, Johnny, why don't you pray? Well, Johnny looked a little bit embarrassed and then he said, I don't know how to say or what to say. So his mother whispered to him, Johnny, it's okay. Just say what daddy said at breakfast this morning. So Johnny shut his eyes and he bowed his head and said, Oh God, why do we have those dreadful people coming over for lunch today? <laughs> well, this year our main prayer at Holy Cross has been that we will see Jesus clearly for who he really is. And if there's someone who can help us do that, it's the author of this gospel we're going through, Luke. Luke is the beloved physician, the follower of Jesus, and assistant of the uh, Apostle Paul. And today we come to the topic of prayer, which is actually a topic dear to Luke's heart. You see, we've already seen Luke share five specific occasions where Jesus prays alone, besides all of the times that he's praying with or for others. And we're not even halfway through the gospel yet. Well, in today's story, Jesus is praying alone again. And the disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, the Jewish people and the disciples who asked this question were not unfamiliar with prayer. After all, they had the book of Psalms, which is sometimes known as the prayer book of the Bible. It's packed with prayers, often set to music, prayers of joy, prayers of sadness, prayers of anger, of hope, of longing, of thankfulness, and so much more. And the Jews were expected to pray three times a day starting with morning prayer at sunrise, then afternoon prayer at the time of evening sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem around about 3 p.m., and finally, evening prayer at nightfall. These three hours of prayer were the daily habit of any devout Jew. And as well as these three daily hours of prayer, they have learned the traditional Jewish prayers before and after each meal, and then special graces for um, Sabbath and Passover, and of course, the regular Sabbath worship with its liturgical cycle of psalms, scripture readings, and prayers. His praying was a way of life for the Jewish people. So why did the disciples feel the need to ask Jesus 
how they should pray. Well, it's one thing to know that you should do something and another to actually do it, right? Think about brushing your teeth. Uh, your teeth. A child can know how to do it and even that they should do it, but it's another thing to actually do it morning and night. Trust me, I know as a parent from experience. Even good habits take time to form. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German martyr, writes of the disciples' question, Lord, teach us to pray, that in making this request, they confessed that they were not able to pray on their own, that they had to learn to pray. The disciples want to pray, but they do not know how to do it. And that can be very painful, to want to speak with God and not be able to, to have to be speechless before God, to discover that every call to him dies within itself. And as I talk to people in the church and in life groups and so on, I realize this is a common feeling among followers of Jesus. We know we should pray, we even want to pray, and yet we feel inadequate or ill-prepared to pray. But what we'll see this week is that we can all pray, and that Jesus doesn't leave us without instruction on how to do this. Yes, followers of Jesus pray, and they pray often and boldly and persistently. You see, prayer is the very work of the kingdom. So let's turn to our reading from Luke's Gospel and see what God would say to us through his word today. As we've seen over the last few weeks, the context for our story is that the disciples are being drawn into doing ministry by themselves. Jesus is now involving them more and more in the work of the kingdom, proclaiming the gospel, praying for healing, and taking on evil. And now in verse 1 of our reading, Luke gives us the setup for this week's story. We read this, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus is praying again, and the disciples see it. While well, waiting until he finishes, the disciples then ask, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, it wasn't uncommon for religious leaders at the time to teach their followers some formula for prayer. And as we'll see, Jesus is actually willing to do something similar. Not that their only prayer should be this one and these exact words, but rather their prayers should be shaped by it. There's still room for spontaneity in our prayers, absolutely. But let our prayers be more than just a shopping list of requests. Let them include praise and gratitude and confession and an outward focus too. Well, in verse 2, he then begins to outline this most famous of prayers. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Note, first of all, that there is an expectation that his followers will pray. He says, when you pray, not if you pray. And a clue as to why this is so important comes in the very first word of the prayer. Did you catch what it was? Father. Father. The Aramaic word used here is Abba. Now, that's not to be confused with some 70s Scandinavian pop band, <laughs> but the way a child would address a parent. Our closest equivalent is daddy, daddy, which often surprises people because of its intimacy. Now, being a daddy myself, there's something sweet about being addressed this way, a closeness that comes from the term itself. You know, each of my kids at one stage or another has asked me if they can just call me dad, but I've said no 
because I'm not ready to let go of the nearness that this word implies. Well, I have a sense that our Heavenly Father, our Abba, feels similarly. And Jesus is teaching his disciples the kind of relationship that God the Father longs for with his followers. Abba implies a relationship based on loving trust. Yes, God is also to be rightly feared, honoured and respected like all good earthly fathers, which is why Jesus teaches them to say, hallowed be your name. But first of all, he's to be loved as a good father, an approachable God who's slow to anger and rich in love, full of grace and mercy, a God who walks and talks with his people daily. So praise him in your prayers as the transcendent God that he is, but then speak to him with an openness as the imminent one whose love for us never fails. Well, next, Jesus teaches the disciples that they must be a people who pray for his rule and reign in the world, saying, your kingdom come. Here, what we're praying for is that God would extend his power over every part of our lives, our emotions, our desires, our thoughts, our commitments, etc. And yet, that he would, and that he would reign in the lives of those around us who don't know him yet. But it's not just about the here and now, it's also about the future. As I prepared these words earlier, literally as I was preparing these words, a song by the band Coldplay randomly started playing on my Alexa playlist. It's actually called Kingdom Come. It makes me chuckle because, well, first of all, was this event really random? I'm not sure. And while the guys aren't Christians, the lead singer, Chris Martin, was raised in a Christian home. And he's profoundly influenced by his mother's faith. So he sings, for you I'd wait till kingdom come until my day, my day is done. And say you'll come and set me free. Just say you'll wait, you'll wait for me. And while this is really a romantic song about a woman he loves, for me, it speaks to my need as a Christian to wait patiently for the day that Jesus returns, the day his kingdom comes fully, and we're completely set free from the brokenness of this world that is so evident as we look around us. You know, it would be easy to despair at times, particularly in the midst of this pandemic. But we know how this ends, friends. God is victorious. And there will be a time when there will be no more sickness, no more tears, no more sadness, no more mourning, no more pain and suffering, and a time of true justice and peace. But until that day, we are to pray for his kingdom to break in, for his kingdom to come. Well, having focused rightly on God to begin with, hopefully you notice that, we then move to our own needs. A reminder that genuine prayer isn't just our shopping list, but a conversation with the living God. And the good news is that the living God loves us. And like a good father, he wants to hear our hearts and to know our needs. And so in verse 3, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, give us each day our daily bread. Now, before you start praying for that souped-up golf cart, Nintendo Switch, or remodeled kitchen, St. Augustine reminds us that our daily bread is a metaphor for necessities rather than luxuries. And we also need to remember that we don't come arrogantly telling God what he should give us or what he should do. Hopefully, by now, as we've begun our prayer focusing on him, our mind is in the right frame to ask according to what God might want to see happen. This section is also a chance to ask on behalf of others, not just for ourselves. 
as the great reformer Martin Luther put it, to pray for a thriving economy, a low unemployment rate, and a just society. Yes, as we dig deeper, we see how this prayer becomes more and more relevant in today's world, even 2,000 years later. Well, next we come to verse 4, and Jesus continues to focus in on our needs, in fact, our greatest need. He says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. First and foremost, we need to be forgiven so that we can be in right relationship with God. Think of the healing of the paralytic we looked at a few months ago. What does Jesus do first? He forgives his sins. He saw that this was his greatest need, and so he dealt with it right away. Like building a 10-foot-high fence between us and our neighbours, sin separates us from God, and so we must seek his forgiveness if we want to be in right relationship with him. But notice that our forgiveness by God is also linked to our ability to forgive others. It's not possible to say, well, I'm forgiven by God, but they don't deserve my forgiveness. This actually implies that we haven't understood the magnitude and depth of our own sin and probably actually haven't sought God's forgiveness. Tim Keller writes, if we've not seen our own or our sin and sought radical forgiveness from God, we will be unable to forgive and to seek the good of those who have wronged us. So unresolved bitterness is a sign that we are not right with God. Is there someone you can't forgive? Is this nagging in your mind of that one person that you can't forgive? If so, you may have never truly experienced the forgiveness of God. You might not have realized the depths of your own sin and yet how God's grace is so much greater as shown upon the cross of Christ. Don't live with unforgiveness in your heart for one more minute if you want to be in relationship with God. Deal with it right now. Well, in the last part of our prayer, according to Luke, the second half of verse 4, Jesus teaches the disciples to pray and lead us not into temptation. Just this past week, I've been rereading C.S. Lewis's classic, The Screwtape Letters, and this book is a funny and yet hugely insightful collection of fictional letters from a worldly wise devil to his nephew Wormwood, who's a novice demon in charge of securing the damnation of an ordinary young man. Every Christian should read this book. It reveals to us just how the devil's trying to distract us from the mission of Jesus and the work of the gospel, and yet how easy it is to be oblivious to his work. The Apostle Peter writes, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And the Apostle Paul put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Peter and Paul are under no illusion that there's a power at work seeking to destroy them through temptation. And neither should we be. And more often than not, the devil doesn't, uh, he does it not through tempting us to major sin, but rather, th rather through smaller, incremental, less noticeable indiscretions. The devil slowly chips away at our faith through subtle means. As Screwtape says when writing to Wormwood, it does not matter how small the sins are, 
provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Friends, pray for daily protection. You are under attack and are often oblivious to what's happening. And he will protect you if you ask. Well, finally, because Jesus knows how most of us tend to think, in other words, I, I shouldn't bother God with my petty requests, and because we tend to expect answers right away, Jesus gives his followers a parable that reminds them that God is approachable. He is gracious, generous, and ready to hear requests, even if it might feel otherwise. In verses 5 through 8, we read this. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. What Jesus is saying here is if a grouchy friend can be forced by a friend's shameless audacity to give what he ought, how much more will our loving God, our Abba, respond to our shameless petitioning for what we need? Friends, may we have a proper shamelessness as we pray through Jesus' design for prayer, the Lord's Prayer, knowing that God cares, knowing that we are praying accord to his standards and purposes. We can be bold. This week, would you commit to pray this prayer each day? Just once a day. And do it a sentence at a time, not all at once. Leaving a pause to reflect on what Jesus is saying and using that to inspire your prayers. We've been praying the Lord's Prayer each day in our staff meetings like this for the past few months. And it's a really helpful way to stop just praying my shopping list of needs. And there's a place for that, but there's also so much more to prayer. So whether it's on the toilet or in your car or on your porch or in your bedroom, pray to your heavenly dad. He longs to walk and talk with you each day. Followers of Jesus pray and they pray often, asking boldly and with persistence. The great reformer of the church, Martin Luther, once said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. W. Clement Stone said, prayer is man's greatest power. And Oswald Chambers, prayer is the work. Let's not forget this as we go about our daily lives, that prayer is not meant to be an afterthought, but our very first thought. So having said all of that, let us pray. Abba, Daddy, Heavenly Father, we come before you now. And we praise you that you love us, that you want to be in relationship with us. Thank you, Father. Would you draw us close to you now? And would you help us to love you? Would you help us to love others well? And would you help us to be a people of prayer, people who are committed to prayer as the work and not just an afterthought, something that we seek to do each day because we long to see your kingdom come in our lives and the lives of those around us. Help us to recognize uh, the great power 
that lies within our hands, Lord Jesus, if we would turn to you and ask. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.